Uh, so uh, we have host privileges now. We are recording, guys. So we are ready to go. You know, a caveat, I'm super nervous. I do not like my voice. I don't like podcasting. The only other podcast I've been involved in when I was a panelist on Jenna's podcast. So, <laughs> All right. So welcome back to the Oyster and the Pearl. Uh, it's been a while since we've been with all of you. This is uh, our second installment of our partnership with CORD this year with the CORD Faculty Development Committee. And we are so excited to be recording a podcast today on diversity and inclusion. And I'm really excited to be handing this over to uh, Dustin Williams, who is going to be coordinating this whole podcast. And I'll just be hanging out. This will be a nice break for me. So take it away, Dustin. All right. Thanks, Jenna. Hello, CORD listeners. My name is Dustin Williams, and I'm the current program director for emergency medicine here at UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. And I'm really excited to delve into this month's faculty development topic for this podcast, and it's diversity and inclusion. You know, we've heard this term many times before, but what does it really mean and how does it impact our residents, our faculty, and our patients? With today's current climate, it's more important than ever to address any deficiencies in this realm and be intentional with our efforts in moving forward. So let's first begin by taking a moment to first define underrepresented in medicine, or URM. Before 2003, the Association of American Medical Colleges used the term underrepresented minority, or URM, which consisted of Blacks, Mexican-Americans, Native Americans, and mainland Puerto Ricans. AAMC has since updated their definition of URM, now underrepresented in medicine. AAMC defines this term as racial and ethnic populations that are underrepresented in the medical profession relative to their numbers in the general population. These are the groups that are frequently disadvantaged on a systemic level within our field. In this podcast, we'll explore how we can begin the work to dismantle these systems. Today, we're honored to have some true experts in the field to begin this important discussion. First off, we have Dr. Ava Pierce, Associate Professor and Associate Chair of Diversity and Inclusion at UT Southwestern Medical Center. She is a multi-award winner for her efforts in diversity and mentorship and also happens to be previous president of the Academy for Diversity and Inclusion in Emergency Medicine, which is an academy for diversity within SAEM. So great to have you, Ava. We also have Dr. Tyson Pillow, Program Director and Vice Chair of Education at Baylor University in Houston. Tyson is a tireless and dedicated proponent for diversity and inclusion and an incredible medical educator with several awards under his belt as well. It's great having you as well, Tyson. And last but not least, we're joined by the one and only Dr. Jeff Druck, Assistant Dean of Student Affairs and previous Associate Program Director for Denver Health. He is passionate about creating an inclusive, equitable environment for learning it for trainees and students across the spectrum. Jeff is also current president of ADIEM. So glad to have such true leaders and rock stars in the field at programs that are really leading the cutting edge in terms of diversity and inclusion. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Thanks hey, Jeff, I think we're a little outnumbered by Texans here. Actually, Jenna, I hate to tell you this. I grew up in Houston. Oh, my gosh. I'm, <laughs> I'm like the sole outlier. <laughs> well, Jenna, thank you for bringing some geographic diversity uh, on the podcast today. I appreciate that. I wanted to start our conversation off by asking you, the panelists, what exactly diversity means to you? Uh, more than happy to start us off. Uh, so diversity uh, for uh, me, when, when we look at uh, sort of the, the spectrum of our population and, and then how it's reflected in the number of physicians, uh, the number of leaders, et cetera, uh, you, you see a drop off from the very rich sort of uh, culture and representation across 
America versus in medicine and then even further in emergency medicine and then even further in emergency medicine leadership. So uh, to me, uh, diversity is maintaining that spectrum, maintaining that, that different uh, race, ethnicity background, but as well as experiential background. You know, we're joking a little bit, Texans versus non. I think uh, that's another important part, maybe not the most important, but that's another important part of uh, diversity, having, bringing people in that are representing different types of thoughts, different ways of thinking to kind of approach problems. And <clears throat> so for me, uh, diversity is maintaining that spectrum that uh, makes us so rich and kind of adds to what we can do, how we can approach problems. Uh, and, and we see that, we see lots of uh, evidence of that diversity, even in different industries. I think one of the things you'll see, uh, I happen to be across the street from Rice University, which does a lot of in, in, uh, innovation. And what we'll see there is just by diversifying the group that's in the room, uh, even, not even to the level that we really sort of strive to of race, gender, um, uh, LGBTQ, et cetera, but even just bringing some engineers in the room with some doctors, in the room with some lawyers, we're able to do more. And so for me, it's, it's not only that spectrum, but it's that potential of, of bringing in many, many different ways of thinking to approach uh, different problems and uh, find different solutions. Yeah, Tyson, I, I love that component. I, I think that the way that I break it down is diversity of origin in terms of um, where you're from and, and your, your makeup diversity of thought, which Tyson, you talked about. The last thing that I would say is that diversity of experience um, in terms of, you know, what you've experienced in your life and how that influences things going forward. Uh, so I guess, you know, what we're looking for when we talk about increasing diversity, um, a lot of us are also focused on what's also termed uh, underrepresented. And I think that's one, that's a a distinction because you can have a diversity of thought, you can have a diversity of experience, um, but you may still want to affect the numbers in terms of underrepresented. And I'll just add, I agree with the two of you. It's really that spectrum. It's not just race and ethnicity, like some people would consider it, but it's socioeconomic status, it's age, it's abilities, accommodations. It's looking at the entire spectrum of, of all individuals. So Dustin, I, I think that uh, the other thing that's really important to realize is that there's actually a ton of data out there that talks about how diversity makes your culture better um, from so many different perspectives, from being more effective in terms of patient care, being more effective in terms of understanding where people are coming from, being more innovative in your solutions. And I think that's one of the things that commonly gets lost is that people assume that you want diversity for diversity's sake. You want diversity because it actually makes you better. And I'll, I'll just add to that, you know, it doesn't just make that one individual better. It makes the entire team better, as um, Dr. Druck would mention. You know, when you get diverse medical student classes, you'll find that the entire class is better because of that diversity within the classes. And then they go out and they're better able to care for their diverse patient population. And that's a way that we can work on decreasing health disparities. No, thanks for that, Ava. That was kind of leading to my next question is, uh, and I think Jeff already addressed this a little bit, is why is bridging kind of this gap important and, and, and bridging that diversity or lack thereof in some programs on why it's important? I think we touched on a few things, right? Jeff mentioned there's plenty of research showing that uh, this makes your team better. And Ava mentioned as well as, hey, we're looking to uh, eradicate healthcare disparities and how best to do that. 
Uh, can you guys think of other ways on on why it's important to bridge this this important gap, or how or how to 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 to, to bridge that gap of diversity? So, if I'm understanding the the question correctly, uh, thinking about uh, and my apologies, I got just like I anticipated, got some stuff happening left and right in the house, so I'm like navigating a six and a three year old and a dog while we're talking. So standard, standard podcast stuff, right? Uh, so uh, to just to re- reiterate the question, um, how and or why we navigate the, that sort of diversity divide? Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I think the, the, the draw of diversity has, has already been mentioned by uh, Dr. Drucker and Dr. Pierce. Um, and then summarized uh, by you is is that we we really are in the business of delivering the best uh, medical care possible, finding solutions. And as we grow, as we advance, especially most recently, I mean, even thinking about um, our response to COVID, uh, you know, one would like to think that there's a medical response to COVID, right? And so you jump in and you do this thing and you do this thing the same way every single time and everyone will be fine. And that what we've clearly, clearly, clearly seen is that's not even close. Different uh, patient populations respond differently to the disease, different socioeconomic backgrounds or at uh, various levels of risk. I think I saw something recently where uh, many of the uh, morbidity and mortality, much of the morbidity and mortality associated in kids was actually in minorities. And so if you don't have those voices at the table representing, you just don't know. Even the most well-meaning team in the world that tries to address a problem that doesn't know what the different perspective is, misses the opportunity to include those perspectives in the answers, in the solutions we try to come up with, right? And so the, the why is that there is no one solution, no one answer that fits our diverse culture, right? So the strength of our culture is its diversity. And the challenge is therefore maintaining that diversity, that voice across the spectrum as we uh, deal with new problems, as we find solutions, et cetera. And I'll, I'll defer to my colleagues, but have some thoughts on how as well. Or I'll talk about <laughs> how to. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so for me the how so I've, I've had the i've had the pleasure thus far of uh in my very i'm very very blessed my word is blessed i'm very blessed to have had uh, a really a 20-year career in a 10-year time frame i helped start a program brand spanking new at baylor college of medicine been the clerkship director, assistant program director, associate program director. Uh, I cleaned simulation equipment for a while. I'm really good at cleaning simulation equipment. I got the mixes, all that good stuff. I've been program director. I've been vice chair of education. I had to step in and do some operations stuff. I've had to hire people, had to fire people, uh, had to tell nice people, you know, don't do what you did again. I've had to tell people that weren't so nice I, I wish you would do something like that again. We'll see, you know, those sort of things. So I've had a chance to um, um, make mistakes across the board. And one of the mistakes I think we make in the process is not deliberately looking to maintain the diversity. 
And it's not it is not a it's not purposeful. It's not malicious. We just think all of us uh, probably just think, hey, let's just look for great people and we'll be fine. Right. Let's just look for great people. And that is true to a point. But uh, what you find is that that uh, ignores, in my opinion, that ignores the systemic barriers that are in place that makes that substrate you're looking at uneven or less diverse. Right. So you are absolutely pulling the best people of what's in front of you. But that pool for various reasons is not as diverse as it could be. Right. Uh, some great examples, not just emergency medicine. I, I've had lots of conversations with colleagues. Um, so anecdotally, I don't have the data, but anecdotally, um, I've been told by my, for example, pediatrician and OBGYN colleagues that 70, 80 percent of the specialty is female whereas 70, 80% of the leadership, as you define leaders, you define leadership at a certain level is male, right? And so it's, it, again, that sentiment of, let's just get the best people in the room, let's pull them up. But you, you have to be more deliberate than that. So I think one of the biggest hows is to be very, very deliberate about who you are, what you want to do, what you want to build, and, and going for that, not just the quote unquote, next best person. Another word um, is intentionality. So you can't just assume that that diversity is going to happen. You have to put steps into place to assure that it's going to happen. You have to make it a priority and a part of your mission. And then not just recruitment, you have to work on retention and the climate. You know, you want everyone to feel that they're welcome in that environment. And you have to work on promotion um, of those URMs that you bring in. So there's not one thing that you have to do, but I think leadership having a seat at the table so that you can be the person that um, can be the sponsor for the next person to get that next position or to make sure that diversity, inclusion, and climate um, remain equitable for everyone. I think one of the other components that's um, that's fairly large that actually is inhibiting us achieving the degree of diversity that we want is the fact that there's still a problem from a pipeline perspective. Um, you know, if you look at emergency medicine and, you know, there are two program directors on this podcast, if diversity is one of those things that's important to you, then you do your best to try and recruit. But the number of emergency medicine uh, students going into emergency medicine is a fixed number. And so who you're recruiting is limited by that number. And really what one of the things that I think is really important for us to address overall as a medical community is how we change that pipeline to increase the number of diverse applicants that are actually making it to us in terms of emergency medicine overall. I agree with all the panelists. I think it takes a lot of work to overcome that inertia. You really have to work to make make diversity better and to increase that pipeline, like Jeff said. Hey, one thing anecdotally, I, I wish Ava and and Tyson were part of my conversations two years ago, right? Because we did just that. We were like, we're going to increase our diversity. We're going to interview a more diverse candidate pool, which we did. But then that's where it stopped. We just assumed that if we, inappropriately so, that if we interviewed a more diverse candidate pool, that people would come to our institution, see it, like it, and come. Well, it didn't translate, right? And and it hasn't translated for years. And in talking to our alumni, and I probably should have talked to you two, <laughs> um, you know, our alumni were like, yeah, that's not going to do it, right? And so that was really helpful advice for us. I would say anybody that uh, is in the boat that maybe we were in and, and doesn't have these great people to rely on and hasn't listened to the podcast, tell them about this, right? Because it, it does have to be really 
intentional and fingers crossed that we will be more intentional moving forward. If I might add to that, I think one of the other big things inherent in that process and that pipeline that I'm actually a bit excited about uh, the fact that we uh, uh, are having to look at ourselves critically is that we don't use the best measures to evaluate applicants. We use the measures that are most readily accessible to us and most measurable, most comparable as far as ease of comp, uh, comparing, but we don't have the best measures. And it's really hard. I can give you so many stories of two great applicants, one, one uh, ethnicity, one another, they both get the same score. They both have the same performance and people look at them the same. And as program director, I said, no, they're not the same. Uh, respectfully, I'm very happy both have taken advantage of what's been in front of them. But respectfully, this young lady, and this is actually a real story. I, I, I don't remember names, so I don't have to worry about not using names. But this young lady um, was uh, uh, very blessed to have a silver spoon take advantage of that silver spoon, give back to the community, do what she needed to do, understood that she was privileged and wants to use that privilege to move the community forward. That's outstanding. This young lady carried her entire family on her back since high school and is currently working two jobs while in medical school. And so at the end of the day, you end up having these compare, and it gets very hard, right? It gets hard, you have to figure out who you are, who you're looking for. But it, we'd like to think that the scores and the letters, those things help us to compare apples to apples. It's not, it's, it's apples to oranges, to kiwis, to watermelons, to bananas. And then you gotta decide, you know what? We want a fruit salad, not just a plain old spread of one type of fruit. So let's go for the different, uh, different components, different types of people, different types of experience, different types of backgrounds that are out there. I think Jenna also touched on a point that's important, that it's not just a matter of putting things out there. It's also a matter of recruiting and wanting people to come in and, and making it an attractive area for them. So Denver Health, when, when we started our diver diversity program, I guess it's now been 10 years ago, uh, there was literally one uh, resident that was underrepresented. And we were very deliberate about how it was that we were going to go about changing our environment, where we um, advertised that we were very in inclusive. We talked to, um, to our chair and got some funding in terms of representation so that we could make sure that we put our best foot forward. We uh, actually did a second look day for folks that we wanted to recruit back. We um, did a diversity externship. And all those things all added together so that now we're one of the most diverse residencies in, in the country, um, you know, if you look comparatively across the entire nation. Now, that being said, part of that is, is, is a problem that we had beforehand. But one of the things that we did was we were very upfront with people and we said, look, we're not where we want to be. And I'll be honest, we're still not where we want to be. Based on, based on location, you know, I compare our residency makeup compared to someplace like Emory. Um, and uh, I'm still disappointed for where we are compared to where I'd like to be. But that being said, what we do is we try and make it clear to people what it is that we're going to do to make them have the opportunities that they're going to thrive with. 
I think we kind of touched on it a little bit, but from a program director standpoint, I think we talk about, you know, recruitment of underrepresented in medicine. And a lot of times when we're talking about recruitment of those folks, a lot of people are focused more on, on marketing and not focusing on the other things that we talked about, like Jeff, like you mentioned, creating a welcoming environment. And then also sort of like Tyson mentioned, increasing that pipeline for diversity. So involvement in the community, yeah, so, so from that program director's side, I can tell you, um, so I respectfully, um, no names, uh, and I love you all out there, uh, but there are some differences of opinion. There are those that I've heard conversations and been in conversations. To, to some extent, there is a correlation, right? Not causation, correlation. If you are able to get a 297 on step one, you probably won't have too much problems on your boards. If the board pass rate is a criteria for success of my program, I am now incentivized to find as many 297s as I can, no matter what they necessarily look like. Or, and that's actually not, I'm not trying to diversify. It's just that I don't really necessarily, with that specific goal, I might not care as it were. And it's really hard to argue, um, you know, I, I know, <laughs> I hope I don't upset people. Uh, if, you, um, if you tout your, your program's first time board pass rate and you only recruit 297s on step one, I'm just going to tell you that's probably not you. That's not your program, right? And so we, we end up having to look for better criteria as program directors to look for the people we want. Right. And I think um, I, I trained under uh, Dr. David Howes and he said so, he said many things I'll never forget. One of them was that the measure of a program is not how your high performers do, because your high performers are going to high perform whether you're there or not. The measure of the program are the people that can find those diamonds in the rough, find those people that need the development, find those people who who haven't reached their potential and help them reach it. And then quite honestly, we, we are just learning to do that. That's part of that retention part, right? We, 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 we have a good idea of how to screen better, but how do you finally uh, recruit and how do you retain and how do you create a culture that shifts, that actually shifts from where you are towards more where you want to be? And it's that understanding that uh, you, you're really, uh, I would argue that, our recruitment goal is a bit off in general, thinking about diversity as an afterthought rather than as a primary goal. You know, I, I think Dr. Pillow hit the nail on the head, but I think that the other component of that is, is that we have this assumption that we are able to pick out who is going to be a good doctor. And every study that has been done that looks at the criteria for selection of residents has shown that there is no corollary across Every single field, with the exception, there was one study out of orthopedics that said that if you were a, a Division One athlete in a team sport, that you were predicted to be a better orthopedist. Uh, aside from that, there has been no study that shows one specific element that says you're going to be a better doctor. And, um, you know, we look at that on a regular basis where we look back at where we ranked people to come in, and then we look at where we would classify them when they leave, and there is literally no correlation. And, you know, we like to think that our opinions are so great and that our interviews are, are the thing that makes the difference. But the fact of the matter is, is we don't know. We don't know what makes a good doctor. We are not able to predict it well. Um, I, I think that 
you know, a, a significant number of program directors now look at the interview process as identifying people that have personality problems and making sure that those people don't end up in their residency program, as opposed to trying to select people. And I think that really is the way that we should go. And then when you make that determination, then I think that you do need to focus on the things that you think are going to define your program. Um, like Dr. Pillow said, in terms of diversity should be one of those things that you say, if my program cares about diversity, this should be what we select for. Is there a way to do a standing ovation on a podcast? I don't, is it, do you slow clap? Like, what, what do you do? What do you, I have no idea. For both of you, those are both great answers. And I guess I'm going to challenge everyone one step further, because we mentioned that maybe some of these resident students are a diamond in the rough, but I'm going to say they're not a diamond in the rough. They're already a diamond, and we just haven't figured out exactly what makes a diamond. We have to look at their attributes, you know, their community service, you know, their life experience, the distance travel, all those things make up the person who's going to become an excellent physician. So we're choosing people that are already diamonds. We just have to make a little bit more intentionality on who we're, who we're choosing. An excellent point. And I've never been challenged on that statement, but you are right. It's, it, I put the criteria of diamondness as those numbers and performance and then look beyond it versus um, thinking of it as uh, they are diamonds. And it's just, just changing the way we're even having the conversation. So thank you. I have a, a practical question since we are recording this when Eris just opened yesterday and there are 1,000 plus applications to go through and limited resources of people to go through them, uh, particularly in this year with COVID, and there's even less data to go on. Do you guys have any practical advice on how to, I mean, I think looking for attributes and the community service, I love all that. And I think that's great. And if I had all the time in the world to look at every application, that's exactly, and maybe that, maybe that is exactly what we need to do, right? We need to resource it better. Uh, but do you have any advice like in the here and now for that? You know, it, it's ironic that you asked that. Um, I'm halfway through writing a paper with a couple of colleagues and uh, uh, Tyson, Ava and Dustin and Jenna, I'd love to have you guys input on it, but it's called the diversity Easter egg hunt. And uh, it talks about how every year when we go through our applications, one of the things that we're doing is we're looking for evidence of diversity. And um, because some of the criteria are not as obvious, it's really, really hard to find the people that you think are gonna add diversity to your, uh, your environment. And we use corollaries. So for example, if somebody is president of their LGBTQ organization, then we assume that they fall into that category, which is not 100% true. I mean, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm a straight white male and I'm president of the Academy for Diversity and Inclusion. You know, that in itself, I think, is, is something that, you know, I would be the outlier from that perspective. But when you go searching through these applications, trying to find people that are going to add diversity to your program, as opposed to having those criteria very obvious, you have to hunt and pack. Um, and that, I think, is a component of looking at it at each person from a holistic perspective, that whole idea of holistic review and trying to figure out the people that are going to fit best into your program. Yeah, I might add to that. I think so. I actually uh, had the pleasure of I've started to do a few more talks, like formal talks on this topic. And I had the pleasure to be formally consulted to uh, help out a pediatric program with their strategy to become more diverse. 
And so several things that we talked about, I think the first thing is to begin to think about your uh, screening criteria and actually think about it critically. We do a lot at our program of that post uh, interview season, post recruitment, uh, and then graduation. I can tell you that uh, the, in general, board score does not correlate to success. And many of our chief residents have had the quote unquote lower end board score. And so a lot of people might quote a board score of X as, oh, we, we don't look at them unless they've gotten X or they're not competitive. I would challenge you to start to look at your own data, your own institution, and start to challenge that number. That number, uh, I'm 99% sure, is lower success will be at a lower board score than you're normally used to once you start looking at the entire person. Um, I like the way that uh, one of the ways to also do it is to look for specific attributes and try to find the best people in that particular attribute, right? So for example, if you're ortho, you might have a division one sport group and you try to find the best of that group. So you're not taking all division one athletes, but you're trying to find the best of that group, right? Or if I were, I'm in, I'm in Texas, we were actually, you know, joking about all Texans versus non-Texans slash Jenna on the call, um, the, the, uh, well, on the uh, podcast, uh, then you, you, you start looking at your Californians, Right. And so then you find the best Californians of that group. And that's just one way to think about it differently. I'm not uh, uh, pretending that this is a perfect method or it's right or wrong uh, and best for everyone, but really just changing the way you think about your pool. So rather than think about the entire pool as one entity and pulling the quote unquote best for that, identify the three, four, five, six different pools you think are important to you. If you look at your program and you have no women in your program, guess what? Pull out those women in that group and find the best among them, find the people that fit and make that a priority. And that's uncomfortable for people because we, we like to think at the end of the day, I got where I got with the same amount of help and support that you got where you got. And so if you pick somebody over me, that means you don't value. And that's just not true. That's just plain old not true. I think the flip side of that, Tyson, is, is you also need to look at your program and figure out why it is that you don't have any women. Is there a reason? Because if there's a reason, then you need to change things because otherwise the women that you bring in are going to be unsuccessful also. There needs to be a podcast standing ovation button. Like it needs to either play <laughs> like that, that, that background where like the audience is because I would have played it for Ava when she challenged us about Diamond in the Rough. I would have played it for Jeff twice now. So if you all can make sure that's there before the next time I'm on, you know. Well, I think that's as good of a place as any to end part one. Stay tuned for part two of this conversation when we continue to chat a bit more about diversity, what it's meant to each of our panelists, mentorship for each other, our diverse applicants, and what we surmise are some of the future directions this work will take. Talk to you soon.